Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's episode is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. At the, uh, later on in the program, we will bring you the final part of the McCormick matter. But first, I'm going to bring you uh, something a little different. If we had more episodes, uh, of this program, uh, we would air it, uh, on Saturdays. But there's only one episode in existence. And we're taking this time, when we're doing the Johnny Dollar serials, to play some of these rarer uh, 15-minute programs that are still uh, intact. And uh, this is uh, certainly quite an interesting show. It aired over ABC in 1946 and over Mutual in 1947. Title was Policewoman, and it told the real-life exploits and stories of Lieutenant Mary Sullivan of the NYPD. I'll tell you a little bit more about Lieutenant Sullivan after the program, or after this program, uh, but here from June 29th, 1947, is the case of the scheming bridegroom. Carter's Pills present... Policewoman! Tonight, the case of the scheming bridegroom based on an episode in the career of Lieutenant Mary Sullivan for 35 years on the New York City Police Force. Uh, Lieutenant Sullivan? Yes? Uh, They told me to speak to you. Oh, who are you? Bianca Riazzo. And uh, what's on your mind? Uh, Well, you see, I... uh... I want to get married. uh... Well, what you want is City Hall, young lady, not the police department. No, 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 I do not make myself clear. Apparently not. Well, you see, I want to get married, uh, so I read the ads in the Lonely Hearts magazine. Oh, here, see this advertisement? Oh, yes. Sounds like most of the others. Oh, no, this one is different. Then why don't you answer it? I should like to, only I'm afraid. Afraid? Afraid of what? This man who looks for a wife. I think he's a murderer. Before we continue with tonight's policewoman adventure, here is something we feel you should know about. If you're out driving and see a train coming, would you try to beat it to the crossing? Of course not. Then, friends, listen. Stop dosing your stomach with soda or alkalizers for indigestion if your trouble is irregularity. Instead, unblock your digestive tract for the real relief you want. For your real trouble is not in the stomach, but in the rest of the digestive tract, where 80% of your food is digested. And when the lower part gets blocked, food may fail to digest easily. Thus, for real relief, don't take soda or an alkalizer. You want something to unblock your lower digestive tract. 
Something to clean it out gently but effectively. Help nature get back on her feet. Get Carter's pills right now. Because taken as directed, Carter's pills gently and effectively unblock your digestive tract. This permits all five of nature's own digestive juices to mix better with your food. You get genuine relief from indigestion so you can feel really good again. Buy Carter's pills at any drugstore. And let Carter's pills unblock your digestive tract for real relief from indigestion due to irregularity. Now back to Policewoman, the case of the scheming bridegroom. Sergeant Clark. Yes, Mary? Earlier today, uh, Bianca Riazzo came in to see me. It seems she works as a maid in an apartment on Fifth Avenue. Oh, well, about six months ago, there was a cook in that house named Frida. Both girls began answering these lovelorn ads, you know, the ones that appear in certain magazines. Oh, sure, sure. Wife wanted, you mean, so forth? Yes. Well, Frida answered an ad and then left for California. Yes, and I can guess the rest of it, Mary. The man who sent for her was a crook who wanted to cheat her out of her life savings. Worse than that, Sergeant. Oh? Murder? Exactly. Now, Bianca gave me a full description, and I started calling the California police. I learned that a girl answering Frida's description was found dead in Newtown, California, about six months ago. Everything checks. Did they catch the killer? No. All they have are some fingerprints which were left on Frida's handbag. Well, how come Bianca came to see you today? Well, last night she ran across another advertisement in this Lonely Hearts magazine. The ad was identical with the one that Frida answered. Oh, he shifted his operations from California to New York. Right. Does Bianca know that Frida's intended look like? Yes, Frida showed her a picture. That's all she knows. Well, there's the matter of the fingerprint. Yes, now, if I could get a sample... Mary, don't tell me. You're right, Sergeant. I need a husband desperate. So I'm answering that ad myself right away. Hello. Hello, Bianca. This is Lieutenant Mary Sullivan. Yes. I've received an answer. The man's name is Pete Milford. We have a date tonight at a bar at 2445 East 14th Street. You got that? Yes, at 8 o'clock. Now, I want you to come to that bar. If you recognize Milford, I want you to say, Very hot tonight, isn't it? You get it? Very hot tonight, isn't it? Tell you, Murray, you kind of surprised me. I never thought you'd be such a pretty one. <laughs> oh, Pete, you're not so bad yourself. Like I was telling my Uncle Shorty, don't mind if I get hitched now, and I don't mind if she's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your Uncle Shorty? Who's he? Oh, he's my uncle on my ma's side. Oh. Before you and I can take the final steps, I guess Uncle Shorty's going to have to prove. Yeah, say, uh, uh, Pete, when we get um, hit, I mean, well... If and when we get married, where are we going to live, huh? Well, I'll tell you, Mary. I got a hunk of farmland out west. The soil's not so bad, but uh, needs improvements. Well, why haven't you made them? Got no money, Mary. Did you expect to get any? Well, I thought maybe uh, the gal that I married, she'd have the money. Oh. Do you mind if I ask you, Mary, uh, you going to contribute something? When we get 
uh, well, I mean, if and when we get hitched, huh? Why, um, yeah, yeah, sure I will. Oh, I knew you were sweet, Mary. <laughs> hey, you know, I don't even have no picture of you. Well, I, I got a little one here, Pete, if you'd like it. Oh. Yeah, I got an enlargement made, huh? Swell. Let me see, it's uh, in my bag somewhere. Oh, yeah, here it is. Oh, that's mighty pretty, Mary. Yeah, it looks just like you. Now, give it back to me. Okay, but don't forget I want that enlargement. Sure. Oh, look, Pete, there's a friend of mine, a girlfriend. Hey, Bianca. Bianca, come here. Oh, Mary, imagine meeting you here. I want you should meet a friend of mine. Sure. In fact, uh, you might say uh, he's almost my fiancé. Oh, I'm so glad. Uh, Bianca, this here's uh, Pete Milford. Pete Milford? Glad to meet you. Likewise, I'm sure. Can you sit down with her? No, I, I must be going right away. Oh, come on, sit a while, huh? No, I can't. Uh, I'm not feeling too well. Uh, very hot tonight, isn't it? All right, Mary, give me the dope. I've just got a few seconds now, Sergeant, so listen carefully. Shoot. That picture of myself on your desk. Yeah? It's got Pete Milford's fingerprints all over it. Now, I want you to develop the prints and wire the complete set to Commissioner Williams, Newtown, California. You got that? Yeah. Have him wire back a report. Where will you be in the meantime? Well, I've got to meet Uncle Shorty. Who? Uncle Shorty. He lives out on Jamaica Bay. Now, now, cut it out, Mary. I know everyone in your family. There's no Uncle I Shorty. can't explain now, but after I see Uncle Shorty, I'll call you back. <laughs> Mighty likable gal there, Pete. I told you I can pick him up, uh, Shorty. Oh, no, will you two stop <laughs> that man talk? Well, I'm happy for both of you, Pete. If you want my blessing, you have it. Gee, thanks, Uncle Shorty. See, when are you planning to tie up? Oh, pretty soon, maybe in a couple of days. Well, then why wait? How about eloping tonight? Yeah, never thought of that. Uh, listen, Pete, you're heading back to the farm after the wedding, aren't you? Uh-huh. Well, then why don't you head out west tonight? I know a justice the peace crossed the state line. He'd marry in a minute. Then you go on the farm. Oh, Pete, that sounds so romantic. Yeah, I guess I like that idea. Only, uh, how do we do our traveling? I got a station wagon, ain't I? Look, Mary, you head back to your house and get ready. And come out here to Jamaica Bay. Around eight tonight, I'll get the car in condition, take you and Pete the parson. Well, that sounds fine on the, uh, I think we'd better make it tomorrow night. You see, uh, Pete here, he's gonna need some money for his farm. And, well, I got the money for him, but... Except in, uh, it's in the bank, and that's closed now. Oh, I get you. Yeah, in the morning, I'll draw the money out. <laughs> what do you got to say to that, Pete? Mary, all I got to say is that things are working out mighty fine. Hello, Sergeant. This is Mary Sullivan. Where were you all day yesterday, Mary? Well, uh, just so happens I was out at Jamaica Bay, and, uh, oh, by the way, I'm going back there tonight. You see, uh, Pete Milford will be with me tonight, and, uh, I expect the payoff. What? Yeah, now listen. The address is 47 Front Street. You got that? Yeah. It's way out in Brooklyn. It's a lonely spot, just the house and water. That is, in case you're interested. Well, sure, I'm interested, but listen, Mary... I've got news, too. Oh, you have? Go ahead. Got a report from California this morning. Well, don't keep me in suspense. The fingerprints found on the dead girl are not 
Pete Milford. Mary. Mary, you still there? Yes. See, I'd kind of expected something else. Yeah, I know you did. Still going to keep that date with Pete? Yeah. Oh, this is a setback, I admit, but I can't drop Pete until I'm sure. It's nice out here, near the bay in the twilight, ain't it, Mary? You know, I, uh, I thought your Uncle Shorty was going to be waiting with his car. Uncle Shorty went down the road for a while, pick up some tools. Oh. I'm, uh, kind of glad we're alone. Yeah? Because we're going to be married. I think there's something you ought to know, Mary. Well, what's that, Pete? Well, you see, I'm not much for book learning, Mary. In fact, I can hardly read and write. Well, I wouldn't hold that against a man. I... Wait a minute. You say you can hardly read or write? Yeah. I hope it makes no difference. Then who put that ad in the magazine and answered my letter, huh? Oh, well, that, that, that was my Uncle Shorty's doing. Now, Pete, listen to me carefully. Did you ever advertise for a wife before? Huh? No. You didn't advertise six months ago, get an answer, and ask the girl to come to California? No, not me. I ain't never been in California. What? Oh, you can trust me, Mary. Well, now, Pete, I've got something to tell you. You see, I happen to be a policewoman. What? And I want to know the truth. Were you in California six months ago? No, no, Mary, not me. My, my Uncle Shorty was, but not me. I, you I, don't, don't you know enough to keep your trap shut? Uncle... Keep your hands up, policewoman. You know too much mm, now. Very smart scheme you cooked up, Shorty. Six months ago, you placed an ad in a magazine under your nephew's name. It was answered by a girl named Frida. She came out west, and you murdered her for a saving. Save your breath, copper. You knew the blame would point to Pete. So what? I'll kill you both and blow this town. We have other ideas, Shorty. Oh. He's out cold, Sergeant. Yeah. Lucky I didn't forget the address of this place. I was right outside. I saw and heard it off. Hey. Is that the guy who's been courting her? Yeah. That's me. Now, Pete, looks like you lost a wife. Yeah, but we caught a murderer. In just a moment, Mary Sullivan in person will tell you more about tonight's policewoman case. In the meantime, does your underarm deodorant really protect you and your clothes from offending others? Or are you half safe? Or are you half safe? Don't be half safe. Be arid safe. Use arid to be sure. No other deodorant tested. Only arid stops your perspiration and deodorizes you so completely yet so safely. Only new wonderful arid protects you these three ways. One, arid really protects you from offending. Two, arid really protects your clothes from offending and from stains by stopping perspiration. Three, creamy arid is safe for your skin and clothes. Gentle, antiseptic. More nurses use arid than any other deodorant. Don't be half safe. Don't be half safe. Be arid safe. Use arid to be sure. To be sure. To be sure. And now, here is Mary Sullivan. Pete Milford was found to be the innocent dupe of his uncle and released. Uncle Shorty was executed <clears throat> for the vicious murder he committed. This is the last program of our current series, and I want to thank my many listeners from coast to coast 
for their kind letters of interest and hope they've enjoyed the show as much as I have. Until we meet again on the air, this is Lieutenant Mary Sullivan saying au revoir. Thank you, Mary Sullivan. This program, as well as all other programs of the series, was based on an episode in the career of Lieutenant Mary Sullivan for 35 years on the New York City Police Force. This is Dick Dunham speaking. In the dramatic portion of tonight's Policewoman case, leading roles were played by Betty Gard and Walter Vaughn. Policewoman is a Phillips H. Lord production. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Welcome back. Very interesting to hear Lieutenant Sullivan on this uh, program. Uh, at this point, I, uh, she was retired. Hers is a remarkable uh, story. When her husband died in 1906, she found herself a 21-year-old single mother. And she had to support herself as a traveling saleswoman. Then a friend suggested that she take an exam to join the uh, New York Police Department as a policewoman. She did join in 1911. She had a great way with people and an ability to get them to open up and find out the truth. And she started out, as most of the police women did at the time, as a jail matron. Um, and uh, she uh, also had a great knack for acting and undercover work. She worked, you know, very hard at that. Um, she. Uh, uh, created several undercover characters, and some of them, um, according to this website, uh, included a trained nurse, a gangster's wife, a wealthy widow, a prisoner, and a madam looking for young girls to buy. And uh, she really was a consummate actor and did a lot of this undercover work. And her real big uh, case came in the Rosenthal murder case. Uh, she was uh, key to uh, getting the, uh, went undercover and got the information to capture all four gunmen and led to their conviction. 1918, she was assigned to the NYPD Homicide Squad, which was another first for women. And then in 1925, uh, she was uh or 1926, she became the first director of police women in the nation and uh, held that job for 20 years. So uh, we got to hear uh, on this show the voice of a great pioneer and uh, heroine, uh, Lieutenant Mary Sullivan of the NYPD. And if I ever find any more of those episodes, I'll certainly share them with you. Now it's time for today's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, The McCormick Matter, Part 5. From Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as... Johnny Dollar. Ready with your party in Hartford, Connecticut, Mr. Dollar. Go ahead, please. Hello, Mr. Barth. Yes? This is Johnny Dollar. Johnny, what's up? Now listen carefully, Ed. I've just been shot. What? Oh, it's nothing serious. I'm backstage at the Elmar Theater in the Bronx. Johnny... I'm all right. Now listen to me. 
I got a tip from old Mike Cairn, a convict, that a man named Joe Panny might have had something to do with the McCormick case a few years ago. Yes, a jewelry case, $100,000. Well, Panny's been murdered. I didn't get a chance to learn anything from him, but I have learned that Panny's ex-wife is married to Julian McCormick. You've uh, contacted our New York office? I've been trying to get your man Frank Porter at his home, but no one answers. It's going to be pretty nasty for Allied Casualty if she plotted with this Joe Panny to rob McCormick. Yeah. Do you want me to wait and let Frank Porter handle it? No, no, no. You go ahead. If somebody's throwing bullets around, they'd better be stopped before... Oh, well... By me rather than Frank Porter, huh? Okay. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Allied Casualty and Insurance Company Limited, Markham Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the McCormick matter. Item 11, seven dollars and a half, one bottle of scotch, which I sent the stage doorman out to get while I was calling Ed Barth at Allied Insurance. Apparently, everybody in the neighborhood thought the exchange of shots between me and somebody in a long black coupe were backfires. It was the doorman who dragged me back in the theater. Uh, you got yourself a boy now, mister. Ah, it's just a graze. Well, I sure don't get you. Call an insurance people and not police. Somebody fires a gun, don't you call the cops? Have another drink. That's the way it's easy. Hey, hey, where you going? You should see a doctor. Later. I went back outside in the alley where the shooting had taken place. Ten minutes of looking around, and I dug a pair of 38 slugs out of a telephone post. Expense account, item 12, $4.35, cab fare, Elmar Theater to Long Island. It was 12 o'clock straight up when I got to the McCormick home. There were no lights burning, and apparently everyone had retired for the night. I checked the garage first. A 55 Cadillac convertible and a four-year-old Jag. No warm motors, no black coupes. I went to the house. Oh, it's you. Hello, Mrs. McCormick. No, no, please. Please don't come in here. My husband... Oh, please. I don't know who you are, but I remember meeting you at the hotel the other day. I'm Johnny Dollar, an insurance investigator. Insurance? Oh, Well, there must be some way we can fix this up. Talk to me tomorrow. I'll meet you somewhere. How can you fix up murder? Murder? What are you talking about? Joe Panny's dead. Your ex-husband. He was shot with a twenty-five, Just like the one you swung at me at the hotel. Oh, no. (laughs) You want to tell me about that? All right, I'll tell you. Joe was your husband once. You helped him rob this house five years ago. He couldn't have done it alone. He wasn't that slick. He wasn't that good. He could steal a car, but a safe lock's different from ignition. Well? Yes. Yes, I helped him do it. He made me. He promised me if I helped him, I'd never hear from him again. I opened the safe for him. But you were down to see him at his hotel the other night. You searched his room. Searched his room? Yeah. Well, I don't know anything about that. He called me, said he wanted money. I didn't know where he'd been for these last few years. Up the river. Oh, well, he wanted money. Only he wasn't there when I went there. And I was? Yes. And the gun? 
I went down there to kill him. But I didn't see him. Not then. Later somewhere. I haven't seen him at all, I tell you. Just talked to him on the phone. I, I don't suppose it would make any difference if I told you I had a good reason. If I told you I loved my husband very much. Not likely, in view of the fact you helped your ex-husband rob him of $100,000 worth of jewelry five years ago. Oh, I can explain that. Joe came around when we got back from our honeymoon. It's an old story. My past isn't all it... Well, anyhow... Joe threatened to tell my husband about it, unless I gave him money. I didn't have any, so I opened the safe for him that night. It was all I could think to do. Yeah. Then you split with him later on. I told you, I haven't seen him. Why would I want to do that? I have everything I want in life, right here. Mostly my husband. Well, it's still a police matter, Mrs. McCormick. I spent a long time looking for you. Maybe you better get your coat. Iris. Oh, you remain exactly where you are. Julian. And so will you, Mr. Dollar. Julian, you heard what I said. Don't worry about it, my dear. Mr. Dollar, I'm a gentleman. But this is a gun. I noticed. A thirty-eight. I got a couple of slugs in my pocket that came from it. Stand over there. Now, this is pretty silly. You can put that thing away and we can settle this my the only way it can be settled. My wife has told you the absolute truth, Mr. Dollar. She's innocent of any wrongdoing so far as I'm concerned. Is that clear? It's pretty glib, McCormick. She's accessory to a $100,000 heist, and she hasn't done anything wrong. If she wanted to give them away... To an ex-husband. To anybody. That was her affair. I would not press charges. Well, that takes care of you. How are you going to square it with allied casualty in the state of New York? And you also forget a little matter of a dead man. But I haven't forgotten you, Mr. Dollar. Julian, please don't. I've caused enough trouble, please. Calm yourself, my dear. This is the least I can do for you. After what you've done for me... Just being my wife. Mr. Dollar, will you accept money? Not enough for murder. Fifty, uh, hundred thousand? I'd hate to kill you, Mr. Dollar. You tried once tonight. You've referred to that before. But you weren't very good, and now you're even worse. You forgot to take the safety off that gun. The safety! Oh, no! Oh, you've killed him! You've killed him! Ah, he's all right. Get out of the way and let me see that gun. <laughs> I wasn't interested in either one of them for the moment. I was looking at the 38 I'd taken from Julian McCormick. There was a smear of cosmoline still inside the barrel. I sniffed it, checked it, found all chambers loaded. It was a brand new weapon, and it had never been fired. Expense account item 13, five dollars and a half, cab fare again, this time from Long Island to an apartment in Queens. The man I wanted to see was Allied Casualties' man, Frank Porter. He lived in a very polite neighborhood. Uh, that's apartment 203, but Mr. Porter is not in, sir. I'll wait for him. Yes, sir. It's all right if I sit in your lobby, isn't it? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir, but uh, I'd prefer that you waited somewhere else. You would? Well, this is a rather exclusive apartment building, sir, and we don't like people... Uh, Loitering in the lobby. Well, I'm on a pretty exclusive mission. But uh, you don't like the mud on my clothes and the tear on my coat, huh? Are you a friend of Mr. Porter's? Yeah. Good friend? He wouldn't mind if I waited in his apartment, if that's what you mean. No, sir. Impossible. But a couple of bucks can do wonders sometimes. It was quite a layout. Books, pictures, furniture, and whatnots that make living at home pretty agreeable. 
I propped myself up on a stool at Frank's little bar, poured myself a drink, and sat there waiting for him. I was like that a half an hour later when he showed up. He looked a little unsteady on his feet. Oh, gee whiz. Johnny Dollar. Hi. You're the last person in the world I expect to see. I'm glad to light and let you in. I didn't think you'd mind. No, not at all. I tried to phone you earlier tonight. You were out. I'm sorry. Chief Whiz, what's on your mind, Johnny? I wanted to tell you I was shot at tonight. Well, I wanted to tell you I found out who Mrs. McCormick is and was. Since you were on the case first for Allied, I thought I'd tell you first. Well, gee whiz. Say, this is a nice setup. Full of nice things. Yeah. I've been in places like this before, Frank. They usually start at 300 or better a month. But maid service, phone service, all those things cost money. A lot of money. Don't they, Frank? Gee whiz. When did you tumble to it, Johnny? A little while ago, when I was out on Long Island, Julian McCormick made me a proposition. He finally offered me $100,000. A lot of money. He sounded like he'd had experience making propositions. I should have tumbled to it a couple of days ago when you phoned the parole office after I left you. You used my name when you asked for Joe Panny's address. Yes. I wondered if your tip was on the right track. I didn't figure Joe Panny was eligible for parole so quick. I had to get to him before you did. He wasn't the kind to keep his mouth shut. You shut it for him, didn't you, Frank? Mind if I sit down, Johnny? Now, go ahead. They'll be strapping you down one of these days. (laughs) Gee whiz. No hundred and a half a week investigating claims by nice places like this. It was one of those lucky things, Johnny. When I was called to Long Island to investigate that heist five years ago, I met McCormick's wife. Happened to recognize her as Joe Penny's ex. And you knew McCormick was in love with his wife enough to pay you to keep quiet. I gave him service for his money. The cops would have broken that case in 24 hours, but I covered up all the tracks I could find. And I made it real safe by seeing Joe sent up the river. How? <laughs> Just tipped off the cops to some of his hot car deals, and they picked him up. He happened to be carrying a gun, so he got the works. Then you just sat around drawing blackmail from McCormick. Gee whiz. Don't look at me like that, Johnny. Every guy has his price. How about you? <laughs> That's the second offer I've had tonight. It's a good one. Joe Panny was a dumb guy. He picked up that jewelry and went right downtown and plunked it in a safe deposit box. He's been sitting there all the time he was up the river. Still worth... Sorry, Frank. You sure? I'm sure. Chief Whist. Chief Whist, Johnny, you are a good dick. You don't buy off. I just wanted to see, I guess. Sure, Frank. Well, do we go in quietly? <laughs> You'd be surprised, Johnny, how quiet. You better dial for an ambulance if you want me to go to the trial. What? You, you were good in that alley back of the theater tonight, Johnny, when I tried to knock you off. Followed you all night looking for my chance. You, you nicked me twice. Dial a doc. Quick, quick. Gee whiz, it hurts. He died right there without saying another word. The disposition of the case and what to do about Frank Porter, an insurance adjuster who goes bad, is a matter I don't have to handle. 
And I'm glad. Expense account item 14, hotel and board in New York City, $79.30. Item 15, $84, legal fees and incidental expenses involved in locating the widow of Mike Cairns, who it seems is still alive somewhere in Iowa and will accept half the reward as promised. Item 16, $14 even, transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $265.91. Remarks? Gee whiz. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here is our star, Bob Bailey, to tell you about next week's story. Thanks. Next week, the story of a ship, the Molly Kay. Destination? Davy Jones' locker. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Mary Jane Croft, Virginia Gregg, Marvin Miller, Forrest Lewis, Frank Gerstle, Herb Butterfield, Herb Ellis, Tony Barrett, Ken Christie, Jack Crucian, and Junius Matthews. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. It's worth noting here, uh, he kind of took my, away my key line. I'd like to come back and say, gee whiz, but uh, Bob Bailey uh, did it better than I could. This script was uh, reused. John Dawson is actually E. Jack Newman. Um, I don't know why he took that uh, non-diploma for the radio job, uh, but he was the writer of the script, and it was adapted from an episode he wrote of Richard Diamond, from May 30th, 1952, The Carpenter Case. Uh, just a great way to uh, start off this series. Uh, and uh, I, I love the twist at the, uh, at the end. And kind of, you know, the whole drama at the McCormick house and how Johnny was uh, a, little, uh, uh, a little bit off, but then he got it right the second time. Um, and uh, leading to a very uh, dramatic and powerful uh, confrontation with the uh, adjuster. And this sets just a great standard, um, a good solid uh, cast of uh, character actors, including the great Virginia Gregg. And to think we've had 57 more weeks of this. This is just uh, phenomenal. We now do turn to listener comments and feedbacks, and we just have one from Charles who says, I'm a big fan, great entertainment, always with the right moral values. Well, thanks so much. And, um, you know, I definitely think in this episode, 
this is one one where Bob Bailey just stood out as absolute uh, as Johnny Dollar just now, absolutely uh, incorruptible, um, which uh, makes for a great story. All right, well, we will see you back here on Saturday with the lineup, and we'll be back on Monday with yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Next week, we'll be starting the Carter Brown Mysteries on Friday. In the meanwhile, I'll send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives, and uh, become one of our friends on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.